0: Welcome to Challenges and Icons, and today I'm here in Williamsburg, New York, talking to James Freeman, who is the founder, president and CEO of Blue Bottle Coffee Company. Well, he started his career as a classical clarinetist and then transitioned into the world of coffee in 2002 when he founded the Blue Bottle Coffee Company. And in doing so, he capitalised on his love for coffee and the personalised nature of brewing the perfect cup of coffee and creating a cafe that is steadily changing the way people think about coffee culture. Well now, one of the country's leading artisan roasters, Blue Bottle boasts six cafes in San Francisco alone. There's a spot on the High Line in New York. There's a cafe in Rockefeller Center, Chelsea, Tribeca, and here in Williamsburg. And it's also served in some of the finest restaurants nationwide in the USA. The cafes themselves are beautiful havens for coffee drinkers and they really celebrate the art of coffee in all aspects of design from their interiors to the highly trained and knowledgeable staff that make you such a fantastic cup of coffee. In 2012, when Blue Bottle was purchased, James continued to stay on as the CEO and President to drive the brand forward under this new structure, investing in and opening more cafes, continuing to uphold the integrity of Blue Bottle's processes and premium offering. Well, his dedication and passion for the craft of coffee brewing has established Blue Bottle not only as a champion of the coffee world, but also as an icon for artisan businesses striving to both challenge and make change in a very, very competitive marketplace. So James, welcome to Challengers and Icons. Thank you. It's, it's great to be here talking to you. You're um, incredibly passionate about your coffee, uh, the love of the elements of control involved in making the perfect cup. Uh, Blue Bottle comes in only one size and one flavor, and it's individually poured from freshly roasted beans, never older than 10 days. So. How did you develop this philosophy around coffee and transition it into uh, from a passion into a business?
1: Mm, I think it helps to be really unhappy in what you're doing and that sort of desperation spawns maybe the courage it takes to try something completely different. So I was very um, unhappy as a clarinet player towards the end of my career. It was good enough to get the gigs I did not want to get and not good enough to get the gigs that I wanted and so coffee was my wacky little plan B, my little Passion project that only other thing I could think of that I wanted to do
0: that's actually hugely insightful that you actually were able to recognize the unhappiness that was in you and you were able to then harness that and channel that energy into doing something different
1: right I felt like I had to or I was going to die or something so
0: right so so this journey from being um, a clarinetist um, what was that what was that journey from being a clarinetist to coffee-like? Was it fairly instantaneous? Was it a, a smooth transition? Did you feel like it was a, there was a lot of risks and challenges with that?
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I look back and there maybe were, objectively, a few risks and challenges, but it seemed to be, once I had this idea, I was roasting coffee at home on a perforated baking sheet and I loved that, I loved that idea of freshness. And I looked around and I didn't see anything. There were, At that time in San Francisco, there was literally nowhere you could go to get a bag with a date on the bag in which it was roasted. So that got me thinking, not like, oh, there's a business opportunity, but it got me thinking, oh, well, I want to make something like that. I want to make the coffee that I want to drink. And I didn't really, it's like, I wasn't thinking about what customers wanted. I wasn't doing my market research. I was just thinking about what is the kind of coffee I'm excited about that I want to drink? Why can't I get it? And if I can't get it, then I'm going to make it myself.
0: And and, and um, you know here we are today, and I know we're at you know we're at the the back of, the, of your cafe here in, in Williamsburg. Yes. But um, out front, it's a beautifully designed um, environment. Oh, the, uh, the cafes are fantastic. I've been to mm. a few of them. Thanks. Um, and um, the whole perspective, the whole design perspective, is is fantastic, and you give a unique um, experience to your consumers. So, from your point of view. The role of design has obviously been important and creativity for the Blue Bottle brand. Can you just elaborate a little bit more on that?
1: Yeah, I mean, I've been lucky. I work work with a very good design team in New York for our projects, DCR. But basically, you know, architecture is psychology, and how a place, how a building is, and how a place looks, makes people feel a certain way. Mm. And so I think you have to start with the architecture of the space. You know, is it a good building? Is it a is it a building that you can't really put a lipstick on that pig and have it change, mm. you know? So mm. um, I've been lucky and we've got some interesting mm. buildings. But also I don't like a lot of stuff around. I don't have that in, you know, 10, 11 cafes. There's literally one ornamental object in all of those cafes. Not each, but one total. And so I don't like ornaments and I, I, so I want the useful objects to stand for something. Useful objects can be beautiful and, mm. and I, I don't like a lot of clutter around. So. Mm. Um, just, I feel like, especially in New York, people's apartments sometimes are small and they, they feel like impinged upon by mm. their belongings so that it feels nice to walk into a space that's not like has yeah. a bunch of messages,
0: buy this, do this, go here, you know, mm. that, that feels a little more peaceful. Mm. So in a way it feels like you're kind of like you're, you're filling out the spaces that are available to you and then bringing your brand into it and kind of filling that space with your brand and reacting to it rather than imposing a one size fits all kind of like exactly yeah
1: yeah and and you know what's not there is just as important as what's there yeah so the space between things is very important and and where there's a shelf with nothing on it or one thing instead of you could fit 12 things that's Mm. that's important not to have things too busy or too cluttered
0: sure sure so let's talk about the roasting process Mm -hmm. and uh, much of the roasting is quite creative in itself uh, from defining the ideal roast and working with the roasters and and employees to make this ideal a reality. Mm. So how do you um, approach and establish the creative standards within uh, the brewing process of Blue Bottle to bring out the best cup of coffee to life?
1: Yeah, it's um, a very collaborative process. We've got a very talented team of green coffee buyer, um, quality control people, and roasters. And so there's this thing called cupping, and it's just a funny term for a systematic way of tasting your coffee every day. So every day, we taste the previous day's roast, okay. and and that's done very methodically with um, points scored and comments written. That gets lodged in a database that compares it to the roast curve. The curve is just a like a recipe of heat, um, temperature, and time. Uh, people think that a roast level or how coffee is roasted basically just means what color it is when it's gone, but you can have two coffees that look exactly the same color, how it arrived at that color can be very different and the taste can be very different. So it's an ongoing conversation of trying to improve little by little every single day um, using the talents of the people on the team and harness to, to bring us forward every day. If something's not the way we want it we have, can ask why and look at the data and see why that might be or every day if something's better. Sometimes things are inexplicably better mm. and then we like have to scratch our heads there and, and, and ask why what do we do what's why is why is this working and then oh the drop temperature is 20 degrees higher on this and I, we don't know why it wasn't supposed to be but it's better mm. um, so it's that con- continually trying to be a tiny bit better every single day mm. is um, very important uh, this when we had we had this investment round last year um, and people were asking me, like wow, you know, there's a lot of fear, especially in San Francisco. Oh my God, you know, how are you going to maintain quality? Mm. And um, and that's just the wrong question to ask because there is no maintain. Um, the question to ask is how are you going to improve quality? How you can continually make it better? Because you're either getting better, you're getting worse, mm. and maintaining is
0: a fiction. Okay, that's interesting. Maintaining quality is a is a fiction, but. The incremental gains can yeah those can are tangible to, yeah. to, to to make a better product right better or product.
1: by dropping the ball by not investing in the back end and coffee quality then you're making a decision to make quality worse
0: okay that's that's really uh, powerful and I know by talking to one of the uh, your baristas earlier. Um, you're very involved with um, the actual locations, I and mean, you know you, you have a you have a very vested personal interest in I like going to going cafes,
1: in. and I want to like going to ours yeah,
0: exactly So I know you're a bit of a history buff apparently, and uh, and it comes to uh, especially when it comes to coffee and beans uh-huh. um, And you said that you tr- travel with your own beans and um, and your own press and you're working on putting together a travel kit for People so they can set the perfect cup when they're not at home. Also, yes. So is that important to you that your customers and your consumers, your the people that drink your coffee, understand coffee in this intimate way as well, or is it more about just sharing the experience with them? I
1: hope it's more important to our customers. I don't. I don't really think about what our customers want, which sounds a little selfish, and I don't mean it to be that way. But I think people are can be unexpectedly delighted in things that they not necessarily can think of. If you ask a customer you know, 10 years ago, before I was opening, so do you want fewer sizes and fewer flavors, and do you want it to cost a little bit more? People probably wouldn't have said no, no, and no. Mm. Yet, we opened with all those things, Mm. and because it was very delicious, people were happy about that. So I, I try to think about, what do people not realize that they want? And then, and hopefully this little travel kit, which has been unexpectedly difficult to produce in the way that I would like, um, comes to fruition and people are excited to travel with more control over their coffee. Well, it
0: sounds like a great idea and we we can't wait to see it. Me Um, too. (laughs) Sounds like it's been a bit of a journey. It's been a bit of a journey. So um, within the blue bottle model, each cup is individually brewed. Correct. Waiting for the coffee becomes part of the process and the, and the creative experience. I've just mm. waited five minutes for a, a mm. beautiful cup of Guatemalan. Now, in a model that respects defined processes and rituals mm. so heavily, how do you approach the more loose and fluid side of building brands and a business and the things that come with that?
1: Yeah, I mean, I don't think about building a brand. I, I For years, pardon me, that word brand has Kind of made me recoil because it seems very premeditated, mm. um, and what I think about is doing good work, making something delicious, making something compelling looking. How can you simplify the process? How do you make it legible? You know, I like if you have a cafe and you have like an order here sign and a pick up here sign, then something's gone wrong because people should should know. They should feel guided by um, where to go to order and where to go to pick up their coffee. So all of those things, I suppose, combine into, like, this thing called branding. But for me, it's just like trying to clear away the underbrush, trying to make things as simple and legible as possible. This process that poor Hamish had to deal with, with me, and and why are there so many fonts, and why are the fonts in so many weights, and why why can't it be straight, you know, all those... Things that we've been talking about in this project—it's just a question of clarity for me and simplicity. Mm. And I suppose at the receiving end, that um, imputes a sense of brandness.
0: So you once said. I that hope
1: I didn't insult you and your entire industry. right Not now. at all.
0: I I, mean, you know, I, I actually saw Tom <coughs> Ford give a speech, um, uh-huh. and, you know, recently to a big audience, and, and he just pretty much said the same thing, which is. Well, from his perspective, he was talking about you know, being, you know, branding and brand being a much overused word that has lost its value and frankly, right, right. when you see products and services and, and you know, uh, branded offers that have been poorly thought through, quite frankly, you all have a case, but when it's been considered to the level of depth that you're talking about, I think you know, the art of bringing great products, great experience um through an identity that people can relate to is a very positive thing and i think that's the good side of branding right right and not to promise more than you can deliver exactly yeah well you once said that much of the coffee business is about seeing the same faces mm-hmm. and establishing a level of trust and relationship yeah, with, correct. The, with, with those people so you then sold your company and selling a business can uh, often change the models of creativity and, and a brand's relationship or a company's relationship with the mm-hmm. people that have helped support it. Can you talk a little bit about your, your decision to sell the business? I mean, clearly it's a success and, and your decision then to stay on as president and CEO. How, how has that sale helped or hindered the, the business and your innovation process? Yeah. Example? I
1: mean, the word sale is kind of loaded. I sold some of my equity but kept some um, and, you know, choose to think of it as an investment round, which it kind of is mm. as well. Mm. Um, so that—that's the misapprehension, possibly that I'm maybe laboring under. But so I, I still own a pretty substantial chunk of Blue Bottle, and the arrangement I have is it increases slightly with every year I work mm. for Blue Bottle. So that's always nice. Um, the best time to get an investment is when you don't need to. So um, last year was a good time because I didn't really need to, but talking to Brian, um, our lead investor, executive chairman now, um, he and I saw things very much the same way and we've been working very well together. He brought, obviously, this group of investors with um, money to spend on helping us grow the business, Mm -hmm. but he was very clear and explicit that um, the role I play is the role that he's investing in. So, um, and I don't play golf or anything like that. So I don't know what I would do if I didn't
0: do this. Well, um, clearly it has been a meeting of minds. And, clearly, and yeah, I like yeah. the idea of you seeing it as an investment in the future of, the, of yeah, your yeah. brand product, you know, blue bottle coffee. This thing, and, yeah. And, um, and, and this, yeah, this wonderful thing that, 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 it's, that it's become. So uh, that's, uh, I think, therefore, the, the relationship you have with the people that buy your coffee is, mm continuing to be strong
1: yeah yeah no things have been growing great and and one of the great things about investments is they buy stuff so you know there's the stuff that people can see which is to say more cafes and other special projects maybe this travel kit you know and but then there's the things that people only can feel and taste and those are what we've been investing in really hard this year and that's in more quality control people cupping more traveling more really dialing in our training process so we can improve our hospitality as well as our technical skill with every employee Um, so those are really those are the important and enduring investments the cafes and other things are more transitory also important but nothing that's going to directly affect our uh, (laughs) directly
0: affect our regulars our customers in the same way okay great so um I know you have got a special place in your heart for Japan. I do. It's a hugely inspiring it country. It is. for anybody who does anything pretty much. Yeah. And uh, I certainly know that my my trips to Tokyo blew my mind when yep. I was there, but it I just think- feel someone fair.
1: You go to Tokyo like you fly into Haneda Airport and and you take the monorail to your hotel and it's like, man, this is what the future was supposed to be like. Yeah. You know, somehow things went off track for us in some way, but Tokyo, it seems like they got the future that everybody was promised. They don't fly to meetings in jet cars yet, but
0: maybe soon maybe enough, soon. somebody's working on that. But but some of your brewing processes are inspired by oh, Japanese totally. techniques. Oh, totally, yeah, yeah. Um, where, So where else do you receive cultural inspiration from? Um, I like cities. I like to travel to cities. Um, so
1: I go to Tokyo a lot, and um, I loved Copenhagen and Scandinavia in general, and just had a very nice trip to London, so you can learn kind of wherever you want to learn. Mm. You, you know, but the less the lesson of diligence and very stripped down simplicity and meticulousness, I think there are so many lessons like that in Tokyo mm. that that's been particularly inspiring for me. And also this almost 200 year tradition of the Kisaten, the um, old fashioned Tokyo style coffee bar where everything is like so diligent and you can sit in this kind of somber room and watch somebody Pour technically perfectly for maybe six seven ten minutes to do this process and then you get this remarkable cup of coffee that might cost you $18 but so what because it's amazing mm. um, and heroic uh, and that's really inspiring to me and I, and I want to try to capture that I don't want to imitate it but I want to be I want to reflect it, I want to be influenced by it and capture some of those things that I'm enthusiastic about and see if other people are interested.
0: I like the idea of a, a heroic cup of coffee. It's heroic. Yes.
1: Do you think Quietly we, heroic.
0: Quietly heroic. And do we, could we expect to see maybe a Blue Bottle cafe abroad, say Tokyo or London maybe. in the future?
1: Maybe. Yeah, London frightens me a little bit. It's one of the few cities I've been to that make New York not seem like the center of the world. Um, and I've been to a lot of cafes in London some of them are busy some of them not but they all look so like so expensive and I, I just London worries me just because it seems like I don't understand how we would compete or stand out there however in Tokyo I feel like we do have there's this for whatever reason we've been very popular with um, Jap- the Japanese coming and visiting us and gotten some nice press and the Japanese press, and um, I think there's a chance that we can really reflect certain core Japanese coffee virtues in a way that's fresh and and a little more, I don't want to say fashionable, but a little more popular, because these Kisaten are kind of for guys like me, like unfashionable old guys that like to sit and read the newspaper, but these lessons of diligence, are not being applied necessarily in more popular Japanese cafes. So I think there's an opportunity for us to show this di- diligence with a fresher face to the Japanese, and and I'm excited by that.
0: Okay, so um, well, we're just about done now. Um, it was interesting when we started this interview. You, you, you talked about how your unhappiness has clearly led to something which is clearly giving you a lot of joy. Yes, yes, and, I um, very lucky. And that's and that's an inspirational you know, mm. thought there in itself. And you've challenged the the big you know, coffee kind of brands that are out there in businesses uh, with your unique um, experience. And, it, and it's fantastic to see your passion turn into a successful business. Um, if you were to pass on a little bit of wisdom to somebody that may be in a similar position to the way that you were before you started Blue Bottle Cafe, what would it, what would it be? Ooh.
1: I don't know, I'm not a very good advice giver. Um, I do see people come around a lot of times with like, Everything but their products really well worked out like their business plan and their logo and their marketing and all that kind of stuff And I I always if they ask for my advice, which is rare, but occasional um, I would always ask them to like really concentrate on their product first That's more important than anything, Mm -hmm. you know, so work on your product and keep working on your product And if that's good, then probably good things will happen. Not inevitably, but probably. yeah
0: which comes back to your thought about you know, continuing to perfect something, you know, yeah. continuing to work on it, never maintain perfection, always push it, and, Yeah, uh, yeah. Some and, uh, and I can certainly say from the cup of coffee that I had earlier and the experience of being here, it's been, uh, the evidence of that is is very clear. Oh, that's and, very uh, nice, thank you. Congratulations on building such a successful experience. Thank you. Well, a pleasure. Very nice, thank you very okay. much.